Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. It is also the last Arscast of this season. Can you believe it? Despite all the ups and downs, well, there weren't that many ups, in fairness, lots of downs, quite a few sidewayses, a number of backwards, and lots of diagonals, which didn't quite get where they were supposed to be going. But it's it's done. It's over. We play our final game on Sunday against Brighton and Hove Albion. There are still some things to be decided. I think that's the right way to put it, because if you say there is still something to play for, it sounds like a thing that you might want. And to those of you listening to this who actively want the Europa Conference League, fair play. I'm not here to stand in judgment uh, to each their own, etc., etc. It's just not for me. I don't really see the benefit of it. But of course, there are other things that could happen on the final day. We could not qualify for the Europa Conference League and still finish above Spurs, which would be something. I guess. I mean, you take it, you take your wins where you can get them, but really, does it do anything to to make up for what this season has been or not been, as the case might be? I'm not sure it really does, but it would still be a bit funny, I guess. So let's see what happens. The, the teams involved in this final day hoo-ha, if you want to call it that. I guess you call it that if you're Al Pacino, wouldn't you? The final day hoo-ha! Uh, are Arsenal, obviously Everton, Tottenham and West Ham United, who currently sit in sixth. So a point for West Ham would make sure that they've got Europa League football. Tottenham and Everton, well, no, Everton can't finish because goal difference is terrible. Tottenham could finish sixth and get Europa League football. So we don't want that. So we want West Ham to get a point and then maybe Everton to qualify for the uh, for the Europa Conference League thing and Tottenham for us to finish just above Tottenham and uh, we don't have the distraction of that, that tournament next season. Of course, there's some stuff still to sort out in terms of the top four, Leicester, Liverpool and Chelsea all chasing down the uh, the Champions League places. And of course, Arsenal are in the uh, post-Christmas Champions League next season, uh, which is going to be really exciting for us as well. No, look, we have been better since Christmas, but before Christmas was just, it was bad. It was bad. And those points that we dropped in that period and some of the points that we've dropped since have had a, a really significant impact on, on this season. We finished better than we started but the first half of the season has us where we are and when you look at you look at where we are now 58 points and it's 66 points that Liverpool are in they're in fourth man we should despite all our problems have been in the reckoning for for top four the way this season has gone and the points totals you know it wouldn't be uh, ridiculous to say that we could have relatively easily garnered another six or eight or maybe 10 points from some of the results that we've had so far this season. So if you're so inclined, you could look at that in a positive way and say, well, you can see a pathway for improvement next season. If you're not so inclined to be positive, you would say dropping all those points was, you know, 
pretty shit and uh, a poor reflection of how the team has performed and been managed this season. But there we are. So look, uh, a little bit later on, we will be talking Joe Willock, who became the youngest player ever to score in six consecutive Premier League games. Six in a row for Newcastle. He's had a really big impact since he's uh, gone on loan there. Whether it's good for him, good for us, if we want to keep him, sell him, well, it'll all come out during the summer, won't it? It will be definitely interesting if someone tests our metal, Newcastle or otherwise, uh, with a bid for Joe that might make us go, hmm. Okay, but we will get a Newcastle perspective a little bit later on uh, in the show. First, though, to talk about the 3-1 win over Crystal Palace on Wednesday night and much more besides. From Football London, delighted to welcome back to the Arscast, Chris Wheatley. Hi, Chris. Hi, Andrew. Let's start with the 3-1 win over Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park on Wednesday night. A game that I think was made a little bit more interesting by the fact that fans were back in the stadium. And uh, as I said in the blog, I don't think you can have a real football season without... uh, an, an Arsenal player being booted up in the air and then the opposition fan singing same old Arsenal always cheating. So it was lovely to get that between uh, before the end of the season, I should say. Where do you stand on the on the win itself in terms of it, it looked quite uh, likely that it was going to end 1-1 and more points dropped for Arsenal, but two injury time goals uh, made it a 3-1 win, a, a gloss to the scoreline that perhaps wasn't merited, but you'll take it, of course. But where do you stand on the, the the concerns about, let's say, the overall performance in the second half where Arsenal didn't really create an awful lot versus, I guess you would say, the character to, to keep going and to get those late goals? Yeah, I think the creativity has been a problem all season. I know it it kind of improved when Emil Smith-Rowe was introduced in December. Um, but I still feel that Arsenal have not kind of solved those issues. I think the injury to Martin Odegaard certainly didn't help. Mm. Um, but it was good to see him kind of firing yesterday. It was a great assist, wasn't it, for, mm. for Gabriel Martinelli. Uh, I think Arsenal played well in the second half. They showed those kind of characteristics that you'd you'd want from, uh, from an Arsenal team, especially to kind of get the three points in the end. But... For me, it was more about those attacking players and and the fact that Martinelli came on. Um, There's been such a clamour for him to start, hasn't there? And I think um, I was really happy to see him kind of come on and make a difference. But Nicola Pepe as well, like despite everyone, despite a lot of criticism from certain corners saying that he hasn't been consistent enough, um, you look at nine goal involvements in 17 starts. um, I think it's not too bad, is it? Since I think... December, January time. Mm. He's uh, He's been doing well, Pepe. And um, yeah, no, I think it was a good win. Uh, my personal view uh, on, the, on the Conference League, I'm sure we're going to get to that, is that it's not a great competition for Arsenal to qualify for. Um, but clearly the players feel, feel differently and they, they want to win these last two games to to make sure Arsenal finish as high as possible. All right. Well, I mean, I think last night there was still the outside possibility that we could have finished in sixth if if things had gone differently between West Brom and, and West Ham. But but ultimately, West Ham won there, and that means we cannot finish sixth. We can only finish uh, the highest. I think we can finish is seventh. And uh, we'll come to the Conference League stuff. You mentioned Nicolas Pepe. <sighs> He is a, a confusing player is maybe not the right way to put it. But, but I, you know, before this game, I would have thought when I thought about what was happening this summer that, that we've got bigger problems to solve than him. And he's of the right age where he can still take a step forward and develop. But I felt like there were question marks or a question mark over him because of the way that he's been used this season, because I don't think you know, based on everything we've seen during Mikel Arteta's time in charge, he doesn't appear to be, uh, to me anyway, to be fully convinced by Nicolas Pepe. And I think that was in some ways evident in, in yesterday's performance. Two really good goals. His, his timing to get on the end of that tyranny cross to put it away with his right foot, fantastic. The goal that he scored in uh, injury time, Freddie Jumberg was talking on BT Sport afterwards and he said, that's what I saw from him in training every day. If you put him in those positions, he can be lethal. Uh, the difficulty is what kind of comes around those things. I mean, do we just have to accept that he is a player who will have these flashes of of really excellent stuff and flashes of quality and these goal contributions while perhaps the rest of his game isn't as polished let's say as as you might like or as the manager might even like 
I don't think Arsenal should accept that, really. You know, and I think the transfer fee will always follow Nicola Pepe around because it's such a huge um, burden on his shoulders and, and Arsenal's shoulders as well. I think with Pepe, he kind of just hit the nail on the head. He he flits in and out of games, doesn't he? And I, I feel like that is is not ideal for for a winger who really Arsenal need to be on form every single week, every single match. He needs to be performing because the position he plays in is so important. Um, I do like Pepe. I like his I like his attitude. Uh, judging from what Mikel Arteta said um, post match. He mentioned that Nicola Pepe has been um, taking part in the kind of post-match reviews. Like he's really interested in his performances and knowing where he can improve on. And I feel like that is maybe a difference from last season. We know that he was quite shy of confidence. And I think he's definitely improved in terms of confidence over the past few months. And that, that is just a natural thing that happens when you get more game time as well. Because, you know, he wasn't playing as many games as he would have liked earlier on in the season and last season. Um, but I agree. I feel like Mikel Arteta is is not going to kind of let it slide um, if Pepe doesn't produce consistently over the next season or so. I, I feel like, you know, that price tag is, is hanging over him. It's been talked about a lot, hasn't it? But I'm not sure how much longer Pepe will have at Arsenal after next season if he doesn't produce consistently. It is, it's an interesting one. I think he's a really interesting player in this current team and in this setup. And, and when you think about what this, um, what the manager is doing, like we don't create, as a team, Arsenal don't create enough. I think everybody would accept that. I think I'm sure that's an issue for Mikel Arteta and his coaching staff to think about. So you become a little bit more reliant than you would like to be on players who can produce moments of of individual quality and individual brilliance. He is one of those. So it's this kind of weird thing where you're looking for the team to, to, to move in a different direction, to become more rounded, to be able to, to put pressure on opponents. I think that's one of the, the, the problems that we have is a lot of possession, but not enough pressure on, on teams. They don't feel necessarily as under pressure as they should, given how much we have of the ball. And last night we needed some moments of individual brilliance rather than the kind of the weight of that pressure telling. And Pepe is somebody who fits into that category really well. Again, he just flits in out in and out of games for me, and it's frustrating. I do find watching him frustrating. I'm sure many fans would agree with that because it feels like he turns it on and off in in games. You know, his performances really do fluctuate. There've been matches this season where he has really struggled. Um, but the, but the thing I do like about him is that he's a risk taker, mm. and I think Arsenal need those kind of players in the team. I think Gabriel Martinelli is another example of a player who is willing to take risks in the final third to to push the team forward. Um, and Arsenal don't have too many of those players, so I, I guess when you're kind of considering and assessing Pepe's performances, mm. you've got to take that into account that. Some people may use the fact that he loses the ball or loses possession quite a lot in games, but that's because he takes risks. And maybe those risks won't always pay off. Um, but in the long run, Arsenal do have a quality player on their hands. And I feel like he definitely has a lot more to deliver. And, you know, his stats in the Europa League, you know, he's arguably the best player in the Europa League this mm. season. So I do feel like he has improved a lot. There's definitely more to come from him. Um, but yeah, I think the pressure is going to be on next season for him to, to kind of up his game and up the, the goals and assists. Yeah, Martinelli is another one, obviously, who people have wanted to see a great deal more of this season than we have. And again, Mikel Arteta talked about how close he is and how he's pushing and fighting to be closer and closer to the team. And he, he, he talked a little bit about how... You know, we have to understand where the boys are in this phase of their development, what they've done already uh, this season and last season. He said, I, I know we want to play with 11 academy players under 20, etc., uh, etc. Et so, I mean, I don't know that everybody wants that, but I think what they, they are keen to see is when some of the senior players don't produce and don't quite do what they're doing, that you give some of those minutes and those opportunities to a younger player like Martinelli. I, I thought his post-game interview was quite... Um, I mean, look, he's, he, uh, I guess he's still learning English and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he, he wasn't giving much away when he was asked about, uh, were you disappointed not to be involved? He just said, I'm here, I'm ready whenever Mikel needs me. You know, played it very, very nicely, very straight back. But 
how do you view the way Martinelli has been used this season? Do you feel like in some ways he's being held back a little bit deliberately? Can you think of other reasons why perhaps Mikel Arteta has been so reluctant to use him, even from a, a substitute's point of view? And I, I accept that like over the last few weeks, he certainly has been more involved. Um, I mean, what, what, what do you think uh, of the way this season has gone for Martinelli? Is it one of those that could inspire him, motivate him to do more next season? Or is it, is it one of those that he might think, well, what's, what's going on here? Is this the right place for me? Yeah, well, you mentioned it with his post-match interview, Martinelli. Uh, the media training's clearly been paying off, hasn't it? And <laughs> his English has improved a lot, to yeah. be fair, over the, the past few months. But in terms of his kind of lack of game time, it's it's a strange one. I, I didn't really get what, what Mikel Arteta was, was talking about last night in terms of the, the academy players and playing 11 academy players. I think Arsenal's kind of blend of youth and experience has been one of their strengths over the years. Um, and clearly Arteta is getting really frustrated and annoyed with questions about Martinelli because he gets asked about Martinelli in almost every press conference at the moment, especially when he doesn't start games. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of reasons for that. The, the first is there's a huge clamour, as I said earlier, for the, the fans to, to want to see him play um, because he's one of the most exciting players on the pitch. Mm. Um, why is he not playing? It's a strange one. The, the way Arteta talks about Martinelli is almost as if he's a kind of arrogant 17-year-old teenager, you know, who's got like a Lamborghini. It just needs to be more grounded. But Martinelli is the complete opposite of that. He, you know, from what I've heard on the training ground, he's a humble guy. He's really respectful to all of the Arsenal staff, um, hardworking, as we can see on the pitch. And he always gives everything. So, doesn't make too much sense as to why he he doesn't get as many minutes as he could have um, or he should have. And I feel like in every opportunity or almost every opportunity he's been given, he's taken advantage of it. Um, It's a difficult one to try and explain why, but maybe it's a kind of just power thing in terms of Arteta wants to kind of bed him in into the team, doesn't want to give him loads of opportunities at once, wants to make him fight for his place in the team. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you have to question someone like Pierre Emerick or Bamiyang, maybe not delivering as much as uh, people would have liked this season. I certainly didn't do that well yesterday. I thought he was one of the, the players who really struggled um, and he looked quite frustrated. He cut a kind of frustrated figure up front um, a couple of times when mm. I think Kieran Tierney attempted a pass to him and he threw his hands up in the air. So clearly he's... Aubameyang has had a frustrating and difficult season. But I feel like Martinelli is, again, he's another one of these players who is close. He's, he's on the edge of the, of the first team or starting games regularly. And um, I really do hope he gets more opportunities next season. If you're Aubameyang, let's say, put yourself in those fancy shoes and those shiny cars for a moment. Uh, and look, there there are external issues that I think we have to acknowledge in terms of how his season has gone on the pitch and off the pitch and, and with his health, um, he must be feeling more or less back to his, uh, or something close to, to, to normal anyway, for him to be starting and playing 90 minutes anyway. Um, how do you, how would you deal with leading the line in a team which doesn't really give you the ball in the positions that you need it to be in. Do you see both sides of this this issue where you can absolutely say Aubameyang has been disappointing and he has struggled at times this season, but the only opportunity we had in that second half was a kind of half chance that Aubameyang got at the back post. Maybe he could have headed it, maybe he could have dealt with it a little bit better from a Callum Chambers cross, which came in the 83rd minute. There is, I think, some some mitigation for how poor his season has been, which is tied in with the lack of creativity that this team has suffered from throughout the season. So I think you could say maybe we could do with a different centre forward. Maybe we could do with a different kind of centre forward. But at the same time, if the team isn't making chances for the centre forward, 
what are they supposed to do unless they're a Thierry Henry type who will just take the ball and make something happen? And as we know, and as we've seen, and, and surely we all understand from Aubameyang throughout his career, that's not who he is. So if you're playing him at center forward, do you not have to try and, and, and play around that side of things? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. To be fair, when I've spoken to people close to Aubameyang, they've basically echoed what you've just said. And uh, I feel that that's probably one of Aubameyang's frustrations over the past couple of seasons that he he's kind of been isolated. I know he was the kind of main man towards the end of last season on that FA Cup run. Um, but even then, he wasn't playing as a, a kind of central striker, was he? He was on the left most of the time. Mm. And I, I, for me, I think Alexander Lacazette has had um, kind of suits that system more than Aubameyang because he's the kind of player who can drop deep. We've seen him play in the kind of number 10 role. We've seen him play um, centrally, and we know that he, he prefers to play centrally. And I feel that that's one reason why Lacazette maybe could stay for at least another season or up until the end of his contract. Like, I don't think you can rule anything out with, with that one. Um, but yeah, like, I think there are kind of reasons why Aubameyang has struggled this season and certainly no slight on him, especially after he single-handedly won Arsenal the FA Cup last season. So certainly doesn't deserve that much criticism. But yeah, the, it's a difficult formation, difficult system to play in. And I think Arteta has still not got his best 11 has he mm. we know that from the teams he's picked over the past few months he has rarely had a settled back four sometimes because of injuries but most of the time because you know he's been changing players you know you look at someone like Cedric he can't even get a game now um, it's a really strange one um, I, I wanted to mention this because I was looking at his stats earlier Cedric's made 29 appearances in all competitions for Arsenal Maybe it's a conspiracy theory. I mean, I haven't made any inquiries into it, but um, perhaps there's a clause in his contract if he makes 30 appearances, uh, maybe Arsenal have to pay a certain <laughs> amount of money. Who knows? But it's a strange one, isn't it, with Cedric? Because he was doing okay. I know you're not a big fan of, of him, Andrew. I saw your tweet the other day about, about Cedric, but I feel like he's a player, he's a good utility player, similar to Karen, Callum Chambers. He can do a job. Um, and, and yeah, like I feel like that's the problem with, with Arteta's system at the moment. He just doesn't know his best team. Yeah, look, I think that's true. I, I think the Cedric thing is interesting in that it, it represents a kind of, uh, it's emblematic of some of the decisions we've made from a recruitment basis, you know, to, uh, I don't think he's a bad, bad player per se. I, I just don't think it was a good deal for Arsenal Um you know, and now we're at a point where he's not playing. He's not playing left back or right back. And we were told that part of part of what made him a good signing was his versatility. Uh, and Mikel Arteta preferred Granishaka left back, which I think says a lot. Um, you know, and he's not playing at right back either. Maybe there is a clause, and maybe we're looking to move him on before we have to pay a bonus or a signing on fee or something like that. And if that's the case. It speaks to the deal itself and, and look, if we can move in a different direction this summer, all well and good. And I think there was maybe something telling, maybe it's accidental, I don't know, but there was no Willian on the pitch last night. There was no Lacazette on the pitch last night. There was no Cedric on the pitch. There was no Ceballos on the pitch. Uh, no Bellerin in the squad. I know he was injured. Uh, so maybe those things are, you know, uh, accidental in some way, but maybe there's something telling about what's what's going on or what's going to be going on next season in terms of who's going to be around and, and who the manager feels he can count on. I don't think it's a case he doesn't think he can count on Lacazette because he's played him plenty this season. He is our leading scorer. But maybe there's a need to, even in these last couple of games, to, to sort of focus on what's going to be around next season. Yeah, definitely. I, I think we know that Mikel Arteta has been kind of planning his squad overhaul over the past few months. I know that word's been used a lot, but mm. clearly there are a lot of players who he doesn't feel um, good enough for Arsenal, perhaps. Maybe that's a bit too harsh, but certainly there are players he feels that Arsenal should be moving on. Um, there are players as well that Arsenal could get decent fees for this summer, mm. depending on how the market is. I think you look at the players out on loan, the likes of Ainsley Maitland-Niles, he's never really had a consistent run of games under Mikel Arteta. It's clear that there's a difference of opinion on where Maitland-Niles' best position is. So, so that kind of makes him a, a dispensable player, doesn't it? Mm. Joe Willock is another really interesting one. 
Um, it's crazy that he's scoring so many goals at Newcastle. It's almost like um, Arsenal should have maybe brought him back. Um, but he's the, he's the kind of player who would fetch a good fee this summer. But again, it depends on the market, doesn't it? And mm. If you look at the, the prices or the, the fees that were going about last summer, there weren't particularly any big deals, which um, which kind of caught my eye at least. And I don't think we're going to be seeing um, that much money spent um, over the next next few months, purely for the fact that, you know, the market hasn't been like that for a while. Mm. Summer is definitely going to be interesting. And, and perhaps what we can do will be informed a little bit by whether we're in this UEFA conference or Europa Conference League thing. Uh, I can't quite um, hide my disdain for this tournament and the pointlessness of it and how little I would be invested in it um, because I, you know, I don't see much in the way of financial incentive. I think there is potentially an argument you could make that this would be useful from a youth development point of view, but I don't think we're in a position where we could play... 11 youth players and seven or eight youth subs I think it would have to it would have some sort of impact on on the first team uh, there's a two-legged qualifier in August that you'd have to go through to get through to this thing proper the idea that we wouldn't even qualify for the group stages proper without a qualifying round the week after the Premier League starts you know I just don't really see this as being in any way beneficial for Arsenal I mean there might be some uh, arguments that it could bring in some money and you know whatever but for me I just I just don't I can't uh it might be <laughs> it might be in some ways the kind of thing that we deserve based on the season that we've had because if we do finish on 61 points and you look at the table and you look at what what West Ham might finish on to finish in sixth or whoever finishes in sixth and you think about some of the the ridiculous points that Arsenal have dropped this season in games against opposition that they should not be dropping points in in some ways it might serve us right to, to end up in there. And that's a mess of our own making. We can't uh, ignore that. We can't avoid that. But w- where would you stand on on our participation in this thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I pr- pretty much echo what you, what you just said. I mean, even the the theme song is... Uh, oh, God. I someone don't said it, it sounds like it's been made uh, on, on GarageBand. And uh, I feel that was maybe a bit harsh to the... To, to the composer but you know it kind of says it all doesn't it that the it's like a third rate competition and even the Europa League you know you have those kind of feelings about about the Europa League when when Arsenal first qualified for it it's it's second rate it's it's not the Champions League is it and yeah. Arsenal you know people always say Arsenal belong in the Champions League I could hear Freddie Freddie Lundberg was saying that on BT Sport last night and yeah, I think Arsenal are a huge, massive club with with loads of history. But you only belong in a com- competition if you qualify for it, and if you're if you're good enough for it. And mm. Arsenal, over thirty six or thirty seven games so far, have not been good enough for to qualify for the Champions League. And I, I just think it's better for Arsenal to focus on the, the domestic competitions next season. Perhaps even the League Cup. They can play the youngsters in the League Cup, like mm. uh, like Arsene Wenger used to do. I, I just don't feel like the the Conference League is going to benefit Arsenal, even financially. Mm. Um, I think that the amounts are going to be kind of minuscule. Um, they could make more money this summer from from selling players than probably qualifying for the Conference League. So yeah, from one player, I think maybe the, the best <laughs> option for us. I mean, yeah, you could make you more from. Sorry? I just mean you could make more from selling one fringe player than you would from playing in that tournament from August to May. Exactly, yeah. So it doesn't make any sense, really, for, for Arsenal to, to to try and qualify for it. Um, but obviously, they are going to try and win these win that last game against Brighton. We'll see where they end up. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to benefit Arsenal in too many too many ways if they, if they do qualify for it. And um, it will be interesting. I know a lot of the fans are kind of, the away fans are excited about you know visiting potentially new places i guess that is one of the positives but in terms of positives for the club and the players i don't really see that many mm. 
Yeah, well, look, there are uh, some far-flung places that we might end up in that, that we've never visited before, or perhaps we'll never visit again. So uh, for the traveling uh, support, maybe there is something to that. But but just in general, I, I, I worry about it taking the focus away because if we can concentrate on the, the domestic side of things without the distraction of midweek, because, you know, you can say rest all the senior players, the manager, staff, they all still have to go and, and uh, prepare for these games and and deal with the travel and everything else. So look, we'll, we'll see what happens. There's a lot that's going to happen this summer, and I don't want to get too far into that discussion. A lot of players, you mentioned players who are out on loan. Uh, we have issues to sort out with, with many of those, Maitland-Niles, Willock, Ginduzi, Torreira. One of them who I know that you keep a close eye on is, is Dinos Mavropanos, who has had a pretty decent season uh, at Stuttgart. Stuttgart, who were uh, promoted from uh, the second division in Germany, have finished, well, they're not finished yet, but they'll finish maybe ninth in, in the Bundesliga on their first uh, term back. The season started... Um, uh, in a little bit, a uh, little bit of difficulty for him because he had some injuries. He had a, I think, a meniscus injury, a knee injury, and then he had a, a groin strain as well. But, but he established himself pretty quickly in, in the team. Um, so, what are your expectations as to what might happen with Mavropanos uh, at the end of this season? I know he's talked about if Arsenal don't want me, he's happy to go back to Stuttgart. Sven Mislintat, who's at Stuttgart, has said if Arsenal don't want him back, we'll take him again, whether it's permanently or on loan again. So what's your reading of, of the season that he's had and what might happen this summer? Well, yeah, firstly, I think Dinos is, uh, people know, because I, I tweet about him all the time. He's a, he's a really talented young defender, 23 years old. Um, it seems a long time ago that he kind of made his, his Arsenal debut. And I remember when he played against Romelu Lukaku at Old Trafford and completely had him in his pocket. And it, it's been uh, it's been a long time since since those games. And he's now settled in Germany. He's had a really good season. Um, you mentioned his meniscus. I mean, he was out for a month. That was a kind of a quick operation, mm. and he was back to full fitness. And ever since then, he's been playing consistently. Um, great performance performances against the likes of Borussia Dortmund, Bayern Munich. He, he's done really well, and I feel like he's a player that Arsenal should be looking at, looking to keep um, this summer. I would personally bring him back. Um, he's a bit older than William Saliba. Um, and he's obviously got that Bundesliga experience as well. But from what I understand, Arsenal or Mikel Arteta and Edu are, are keen on selling him this summer permanently. Um, I've spoken to a lot of agents as well around the club and they all kind of say the same thing, that Arsenal are having a fire sale. They're looking to get rid of everyone. Obviously, not literally everyone, but a lot of players this summer. Sure. Uh, I think Mavropanos is... He's happy. He's happy in, in Germany as well. He's he's got his golden Labrador. He lives with his girlfriend in in Stuttgart. He's he's enjoying life there. Um, but he would definitely be open to returning to to Arsenal. Um, I think it's unfortunate as well that he hasn't really had a look in, has he? Uh, mm. Nicola Teta hasn't. I don't think he's ever spoken about him um, over the, over the past year and a half. So. It's disappointing for me because, from a personal perspective, I, I'd like him to succeed, but at Arsenal. But yeah, it looks like um, they're going to try and move him on. Um, I think the feeling from maybe his camp as well is that a loan extension might be better. Um, so if he signed for another year on loan, they could potentially get more money mm. if they decided to sell him next summer. Um, but clearly, there's a kind of desperation. To, for funds right now at Arsenal and they, they need money so that's I think the main reason why they, they see him as a kind of dispensable player in the squad Well I guess you know we could probably sell him for the money we might make in the uh, Europa Conference League um, yeah I mean look it's 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 one of those situations where if you're going to sell him I suppose given the, the length of contract that he has he's he's got a contract with Arsenal until 2023 so it's two years uh, this summer if you're not going to keep him if you've decided that you're going to sell him it's better to sell him when he's got two years left on his contract rather than one uh, but again it depends on what sort of money that, that Stuttgart might be able to come up with and I suppose part of this is informed by the fact that you know if we don't have this conference league thing next season and if we're playing 38 Premier League games and some FA Cup games and some League Cup games 
you can operate with a much tighter squad. I mean, you need to operate with a much tighter squad. There's no point having a big bloated squad for, you know, a, a raft of fixtures that you're not going to be playing. You know, financial considerations are going to come into that as well. So, you know, if you think about next season, if Saliba comes back, you've got Saliba and Holding, you've got Gabrielle and Pablo Marie, uh, and maybe you've got Callum Chambers as some kind of fifth choice backup if there are some injury problems. So, if that is what's being talked about, and I'm sure they're assessing him as well as they're assessing all the other lone players, this summer seems like the the, the right time to sell. Yeah, and uh, his contract expires in the summer of 2023. So if he did spend another season on loan, um, maybe clubs could kind of negotiate the price down because he only has a kind of a year left. Mm. So it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I, I feel like the players you just mentioned, the defenders you just mentioned are... are Having watched pretty much every game of, of Maverick Pounces this season, I wouldn't say that any of them are, are particularly better than him. Um, but of course, the judgment comes down to Mikel Arteta and Edu, and, and they will feel that, uh, that the certain profile of player suits Arsenal. I think Chambers, the, one of the main reasons that he is in the team is that he's a homegrown player as well, and that's mm. probably one of the reasons he's likely to stay. Um, because he's he's homegrown, and mm. I think that's just unfortunate, isn't it? That you you're going to be in the team, or part of the reason you're going to be in the team is because of where you're you're from, mm. um, not just how good you are. And that's not slight on Chambers. He's a he's a good player. He's yeah, a good yeah. backup player. Uh, but I do feel that someone like Mavropanos could come in and and easily start for Arsenal um, on a consistent basis. Well, let's see what happens. There's going to be a lot going on this summer and a lot uh, of toing and froing. The fire sale, as you mentioned, I'm sure will be uh, will be an interesting one for all of us to look at from the outside as as things happen or don't happen throughout the season. And look, hopefully we'll uh, we'll catch up with you at some point during the summer, Chris, and see what's going on with all that. But for now, thank you very much. Cheers, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much indeed to Chris. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Chris Wheatley underscore at Chris Wheatley underscore. And he writes about Arsenal for football.london. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Now, Arsenal have had a, a number of players out on loan this season. First team players, not just academy guys going out to get some development time, but, but players who were part of the first team squad and for various reasons have gone elsewhere. Some of the moves have been okay, some not so okay, but the star of the show, uh, if you want to call it that, has been Joe Willock, who since his move to Newcastle in January has really caught the eye. He scored on his debut against Southampton on the 6th of February and in recent weeks has been scoring goal after goal after goal. As we said earlier, he's the youngest player to ever score six games in a row in the Premier League. He scored goals against Spurs, West Ham, Liverpool, Leicester, Man City and Sheffield United. It means that he is in double figures for goals this season between what he scored for Newcastle and what he did for Arsenal in the Europa League. He scored three times for us in the group stages of the Europa League. I thought it might be interesting to get a little bit of Newcastle perspective on on Joe and how he's done there and what might happen next with him. So joining me from the Newcastle United fanzine and podcast True Faith and from the board of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, it's Alex Hurst. Hi, Alex. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. I suppose first things first is, uh, has Joe Willock exceeded the expectations you might have had for him before uh, he arrived on loan? 
Yeah, very much so. I think a lot of Newcastle fans didn't know a lot about Joe Willock, even though he played a lot of games for Arsenal. As it you know, as it turned out, you know, I think the the January transfer window uh, was hugely underwhelming, considering the team were struggling as badly as they were. But he has been transformative, not just uh, not just in a few games, but really for Newcastle's season. And uh, although Newcastle probably would have stayed up because of the inability of the bottom three to win games, he is uh, almost single-handedly dragged us into mid-table away from the relegation zone. Uh, what what sort of a role has he been playing? Because I know in some of the games he's come off the bench to score late and like his ability to pop up in the box is something that we've seen as as Arsenal fans. But you know, how has he been used by Steve Bruce and, and how has he managed to look, you don't score six goals or six times in a row in the Premier League by accident. It's not the kind of run he's gonna do time and time again, but what has Steve Bruce been doing with him to get him into these positions and to make him so effective? Yeah, well, you know, when um, when Willock turned up, Newcastle were playing a, a diamond in midfield and he was he was playing on the left or the right of the diamond. And even though he was uh, very impressive on his debut in a slightly mad game against Southampton, um, he wasn't as effective playing in a kind of wide role. Um, the team got worse and worse. So Bruce went back to the kind of safety blanket five at the back, mm. which is awful to watch as a fan, but has been way more effective in terms of points. Uh, and Willock plays in central midfield. He plays in as one of three central midfielders alongside John Joe Shelby, who can't run, uh, and Miguel <laughs> Almiron, who can run lots, but isn't a central midfielder. So Willock is basically the heart of the side. The, you know, Steve Bruce talked about... Um, and being the kind of player you wanted to build a side round. And that was, it was strange to hear considering he wasn't putting him in the team to start, even though most Newcastle fans at the time thought this kid's got to be playing, mm. particularly compared to some of the the other lads who were getting in front of him at the time. You know, the likes of Jeff Hendrick, who's one of the worst players I've ever seen <laughs> at this level. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, because he scores those, those goals late on in games, it becomes impossible not to have him have him in the team, and then, yeah, he's just been he's been really really good um, in that in that kind of in, you know playing in the middle of the park, box to box. He can run forever. Uh, he can defend. He puts a shift in at the back. He's kind of just all over the pitch. Really, he's one of those players who just pops up in every single position. And I think that to answer your original question, when he's been given a, a central free role and you know the ability to get up and down the pitch and across the pitch he's been way more effective than say playing on on the right side of a diamond where he has to support a fullback so that kind of freer role for him in the middle of the pitch in the heart of the sides brought the best out of him it's interesting to hear you talk about the defensive side of his game because i think that is something that that some arsenal fans certainly had a a, a few concerns about um i remember watching him in a, a preseason game in, in the states not last summer the summer before and being really impressed with his defensive awareness i'm not sure it's always translated so is that or has that been oh, it's clearly not as much of a strength as what he's done going forward but is that something that has maybe been offset a little bit by the the fact that it's a back five he doesn't have quite as much defensive responsibility or is it is it a, a case that he's doing the job at, at both ends in in midfield I, th- I think there is something in, in terms of the back five. You know, he's got three centre-backs behind him, so any mistakes potentially aren't capitalised as much by the opposition. However, um, you know, under, particularly under Steve Bruce, he has to spend most of the game defending. Newcastle mm-hmm. play without the ball, willingly play without the ball um, for, you know, up to 70 80% of the game. So if, if, if you're no good at doing the defensive side, you wouldn't survive in this system. So it has, it's been really impressive, and I suppose... You know, we've had players on loan before at Newcastle from from other Premier League clubs. Not something I particularly enjoy as a fan, um, but the difference between Willock and maybe some of those other players we've had is just his willingness to graft and get on with it. And he, he, you know, I'm sure it's the same at Arsenal, but you, you can go a long way at Newcastle by being a nice guy <laughs> and by being, um, you know, vocal on social media and really immersing yourself in the fan culture. And he's done that. He's, he's always willing to do interviews for uh, the club's official channel. He's always been on social media on the club's official channel, recording videos, saying things. So he just seems like a really nice kid. And that's done him a lot of good. And the fact that he, he seems to have thrown himself into the team's struggle. So the team were really struggling. 
and he does interviews talking about not wanting to be near the relegation zone, talking up the team, saying that the team is better than where they are. That might not sound like much, but the manager (laughs) talks about, you know, how limited the squad is and how when we have injuries, it's so hard to compete. And it's just, it's, it's, you know, shouldn't be the job of a 21-year-old low Nate to come in and speak on the behalf of, of the supporters. But he has kind of taken on that mantle a little bit alongside Alanson Maximan. So he's just really, really popular. And the fact that he just seemed to get his roll, roll of sleeves up and get on with the task at hand and dragging the team away from the bottom three, it, you know, kind of, it's not the kind of stuff you'd expect from someone who's still very, very early in their career and is still really a, a very young adult. Yeah, it is a weird one, isn't it, with with a lone move like this where you think, you know, for a player like Joe, who had been much more involved last season at Arsenal, I think he made 42 appearances in one season, not all of them starts, but he started plenty. And then he sort of fell by the wayside a bit and... You know, like you say, when when it comes to loan deals, you've got a guy going to Newcastle. We've had players come to Arsenal on loan the last couple of years, and you think with your most optimistic hat on, well, you know they're they're gonna come, they're gonna love it, and they're gonna want to stay. The other side of it, of course, is that they might be trying to. You know, I'm not disputing anyone's professionalism, but maybe their ambition is to go back to their parent club. As you know, we've got a couple of players, and their 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 goal is to to make their mark there. And this is a way of showing their manager that look. This is what I can do if you give me regular playing time at Premier League level. This is the kind of impact I can make. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that, that is always the issue, isn't it? And that's the the kind of flaws you, you always want to be a club. And, and you you just reminded me that, that Arsenal have had the loan players as well. But mm. You want to be the kind of club that doesn't need other clubs' players. Yeah, um, but such as modern football, you know. I think I think in terms of his his future. I mean, his, you know, the reaction he got last night. I was at the game last night. Um, you know, ten thousand fans. That you know, he, he was serenaded pretty much all game. Obviously, scored again, played really well again, in another really poor performance by the team overall. Mm. Um, one of the things about him which might be different to Arsenal, because he mentioned they played a lot last season, is that you know he's playing with other good footballers. Arsenal, I know Arsenal haven't been great, particularly in the league <laughs> over the past few years, but he's probably coming to Newcastle, and all of a sudden he's quite a big fish in a small pond, particularly in terms of the central midfielders we have. Yeah. Maybe that's brought the best out of him. Maybe that's matured him a little bit. That kind of ability that he's got, where all of a sudden he's not kind of having to compete for his place with, with players who are you know, on, on bigger wages or, or more influential in the dressing room or whatever. You know, now he is he is the big the big dog almost in the team. That that seems to have brought the best out of him. And you get you get that with some players who mm. who thrive in situations where they are needed. Um but you know, in terms of their, their future and all that kind of thing, I don't, I don't think any Newcastle fans would blame Joe Willock if he didn't sign for Newcastle. I think the club are going to try. Newcastle are going to try and sign him. Would probably pay maybe up to thirty million pounds if they can find the money. And I've, I've no idea whether Arsenal would take that or not. Um, but you know, I think I think a lot of Newcastle fans think, well, by coming to Newcastle, what what are you actually doing with your career? What do you want to play under Steve Bruce and play with thirty percent of the ball every week and finish fifteenth and mm. have everyone say how good a job the manager's done because you're fifteenth on 40, 40 points? And Alan Maximan actually yesterday before the game went on Talk Sport and and said Newcastle need to sign Joe Willock, which is you know very very bold thing to say, particularly about a, a teammate and a colleague. But that just shows you know Alan St. Maximan is Newcastle's best player by a mile. He's he's he you know he's just been signed on a new six year contract, the club's highest paid player. So that in itself, when you've got the club's best player by some distance going on national radio saying, "My club need to sign this kid," mm. that would show the right ambition. That that tells you how valued he is, not just from the supporters but also by his teammates as well. Yeah, I, I reckon that if if Newcastle came up with thirty million for Joe Willock, Arsenal would be ready sellers considering you know, everything that's going on at the club in in terms of finances and what else needs to be done with a rebuild. And you have a player who was probably worth some money because he's a young English player, uh, you know, who can, who can do a job at this level. But then, you know, he's... I think when you go on the kind of scoring run that he goes on, it's a little bit, I won't say bittersweet for you, but, but the more he scores the better it is for you as a team, but also the more expensive he becomes as a player if you do want to sign him. Yeah, and it's it's not just about Newcastle and Arsenal, is it? Because 
you know, you know yeah, true, other, true. other Premier League clubs you'd imagine would therefore start taking an interest. If you're Brendan Rodgers at Leicester City and you're looking for a central midfielder and you've got that kind of money to spend, mm. you know, if the player's going to choose between Champions League or Europa League, Leicester City and Newcastle, I know, I know who I'd choose as a young player. So it, do, it does feel a little bit like that. The more we, we go and the better we get or the better he gets, uh, the more alerts other other teams. But, uh, you know, in Newcastle, like, you know, everyone's always prepared for disappointment, particularly in the transfer market. The, the financial situation at the club, even though the club are one of the few uh, who, you know, who, they, they release their annual accounts at the latest possible opportunity every single year. Mm. Um, so, but we imagine that Newcastle won't be uh, immune to the effects that nearly every other Premier League club, maybe apart from Manchester City and Chelsea, have felt um, from the pandemic. So, whether they've got the money, whether the player would want to come. I don't know, but you, you are right that the better. I mean, we've got one game left on Sunday against Fulham. You know, what an opportunity from the, to get the seven in a row. He's yeah. already the youngest, youngest ever player in the Premier League to score in six games in a row. So that, I'm sure that's a huge motivation from him. Even if he's not at Newcastle next season, it would be a great way for him to sign off. Yeah, look, I have to say that the, one of the things that's always caught my eye about Joe is his ability to be in the right place at the right time and, and in the penalty area. He really does have this uncanny uh, ability to to know where the ball is dropping or to just attack uh, certain situations. So yeah, it would be great for him to finish and make it seven in a row. Um, and we'll see, obviously, what happens in the summer. There's, there's clearly, um, like you say, more than just Arsenal and Newcastle involved. Um, Personally, you know, I, I I like him. I think we've got some problems at Arsenal in terms of uh, midfielders who score goals in that we don't really have any. Uh, so that would be some way of, of filling a gap that we might need to look at in the transfer market. But let's see, if Newcastle came with the right offer, I think Arsenal would probably sell given the financial situation. Just finally... Um, you know, you talked about finances and ownership and all that kind of stuff. And, and obviously, um, I, I think there are some not quite exact parallels, but certainly in terms of how fans are feeling about their owners at, at both Newcastle and Arsenal. How has this season been for you guys with that ongoing situation with Mike Ashley after what happened with the takeover um, falling apart, et cetera, et cetera? Has it been you know difficult to keep people, um, their chins up, if you like? Oh, definitely. It's 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 been it's been horrific. You know, you've got obviously the the pandemic and the fact that no one's been allowed to go to the game. Um, but like you say, there's a large section of the fan base which believes that the Premier League is corrupt, and Liverpool and Tottenham stopped our takeover. You know, there's now a league. Mike Ashley is is got two very high profile legal cases going on against the Premier League. It's never a good situation where your club is at war with the league. Mm. Newcastle are, are, are hopeless. You know, Newcastle played Arsenal three times a season, didn't score. Um, you know, they're just they're just a dreadful team. It's almost a miracle. It's a miracle that they've stayed up. <laughs> um, probably down to Joe Willock and, and, and a couple of other players, but, you know, the, the, the manager is absolutely loathed. Uh, it's just been a dreadful season. It's you know I think I think if there'd been fans in grounds, the manager would have gone months ago because it would have been unsustainable um, mm. watching those kind of performances. But you know if we beat Fulham on Sunday, then it's back. To, I think we'll, we'll get to forty-five points, which in the Mike Ashley era, the club's only finished on more than that on three occasions, which is pretty brutal. Yeah, um, and that'll be fourteen seasons. So yeah, it's, it's been a dreadful season. I think a lot of fans have just thought, well, whatever happens this season, we're going to get taken over. But it's going to be another summer of all of that insecurity. Like, it's the same for you guys at the minute. It's just it's just awful not knowing who your manager's going to be, not knowing who's going to run the club. It's impossible. You know, one thing I'll say about Steve Bruce is, you know, I can't stand him as a manager or a man, is that it has been difficult for him doing his job in full knowledge that if his boss had his way he would sell the club tomorrow and Steve Bruce would be out of a job. Mm. So it's difficult for him. And I don't think that's impacted on his managerial ability because there isn't much ability to speak of at this level. But um, yeah, it's been a dreadful season overall, mate. Well, look, here's to things looking up. Maybe not uh, between now and the end of this season, but for next season, keep up the good work with the supporters' trust because I know those things are important and you know we have them going on at Arsenal as well. And uh, hopefully Joe can do it for you seven in a row on Sunday. Thanks, Alex. Cheers, Andrew.
Thank you to Alex. You can find him on Twitter. He is at TFAlex1892. If you're interested in the podcast and the fanzine, that's at true-faith.co.uk. And the Newcastle United Supporters Trust is nufctrust.co.uk. I think it'd be great if Joe Willock made it seven in a row against Fulham on Sunday. What a way to end uh, a brilliant loan spell at Newcastle United that would be for him. Personally, I wouldn't mind seeing him get a chance with us next season. We've got some issues with midfield. Torreira's going to go. Ginduzi's going to go. Sabias uh, is going to go. We don't know if we're going to get Marno Odegaard back. I think as a squad option in a in a season where we're not playing quite as many games in Europe, etc., etc., he could do a job for us. But if the money comes in from Newcastle, perhaps... Uh, it must be tempting or it will be tempting for the club. I also think like if a club like Leicester are going to come in and offer you money for Joe Willock, you say, well, they're really smart and they buy well. Why don't we just kind of hang on to the player that we have, who's ours, who's grown up at the club and could develop into a player for us? If it doesn't work out, you can still sell him next summer. I think we've got other players we can move on this summer as well um, in the market. But look, Uh, As with everything that's going to happen this summer, I don't rule anything out, Um, really, in terms of who might go. It all depends on what money is on offer. So, look, we are going to be playing uh, Brighton on Sunday for all that that entails. Whatever it means, James and I will discuss on the Arsecast Extra on Monday. We won't be recording it on Monday morning, though. It will be a little later in the day, I think probably late afternoon. So it might be Monday evening by the time we get that podcast out for you. In the meantime, we will have a Newcastle preview podcast for Patreon members. You can sign up if you like, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. For now, though, uh, just a, a thanks, a sincere thanks to all of you for being here throughout this season. We've done it again. We've gone through an entire campaign. I know it has been a, a difficult one on the pitch and off the pitch and I don't just mean for for Arsenal um, I mean for all of us it's been a really weird strange surreal uh, unpleasant at times uh, last 12 months or so so to all of you out there who tune in every week every episode if it provided some distractions some entertainment during this last year Uh, Regardless of what's happened with Arsenal this season, thank you very much. Uh, It means a great deal to me and to everybody here. I'm glad we can keep doing it. I'm glad to be doing it because it's helped keep me um, uh, sane, I guess, in some ways, knowing that you guys are here and listening and waiting for the next episode. So, look, football, there's not much we can do about that. We can't control what happens. We can only react to it, but we can do our best for each other and continue to do our best for each other as much as possible. We can, uh, as soon as we're able, consign this season to the uh, depths of history, to the annals, that's with two ends, by the way, uh, of history from an Arsenal perspective. And, you know, in August, it'll all come around again and we can hopefully be optimistic about what lies ahead. So for now... Uh, Have yourselves a great weekend. Here's to a successful weekend that things work out for us exactly the way we want, whatever that might be. So until next time, a very sincere thanks. Take it easy, folks. Catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye. everyone and welcome to the Democratic Republic of Karl, where today we are holding the draw for the Europa Conference League. That's right, the 13th most popular football tournament in all of Europe. And we here have great pleasure in hosting this event at the expense of some of our neighbors. Take that, United Socialist States of Steve. The Europa Conference League puts together some of the most exciting top-class, high-class teams anyone can ever see anywhere, including 
e anche Galway, FC Slopes of Andorra, Borussia Trev's Auto Shop, come and have a go if you're hard enough rovers, Hertha Bertha, and Arsenal. But before the draw, the most important part of any European football competition, the anthem. We are proud to announce that the anthem of the Europa Conference League has been done by world-famous DJ and remixer Moby. Please, in this democratic republic of Carl, take it away to wow the people, Moby. Ladies and gentlemen, I must apologize. I am told he's not Moby, but Toby, who is, of course, idiot son of President Carl. Oh, no, I said it out loud. Well, that is the end for me. Time to seek asylum elsewhere. United Soviet States of Steve, I'm coming! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 